Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Dr. Simon. And my show tonight deals with uh, Dr. Oz, the television doctor's story uh, that he presented about uh, the antidepressants, a certain class of antidepressants, which are the most popular, and I'm going to talk about those in a moment. Um, I tried to invite Dr. Oz on my show, uh, but he is a very busy man, and uh, there was no way to get to him directly. He has a website in which you could write down messages and uh, get advice from Dr. Oz. Um, and so I invited him on my show, and I asked if I could be on his. Uh, but I never heard from him, and that's perfectly, I, I didn't think I would. Uh, and that's perfectly okay. So I want to start uh, by talking about uh, my feelings about Dr. Oz. I think he's terrific. I think uh, if I use a Yiddish word, he's a mensch. Uh, if he was my doctor, I think I'd be very happy with him. He's intelligent, he's well-informed, uh, highly educated, and he shows real compassion and real understanding and real commitment uh, to helping people. Uh, his, his patients are very lucky. I don't know if he still has time for a practice, but uh, so I, there's nothing about Dr. Oz that I want to criticize, and all I can say is good things about Dr. Oz. Uh, I don't always watch his show, but occasionally... Uh, my wife will tell me uh, that there's something I might be interested in, uh, and I will watch, and I always enjoy it, and I find it edifying. Now, this particular show dealt with um, the, the, the rise, the incredible rise of the use of antidepressants, particularly those uh, like Paxil and um, Prozac. Prozac was the first. And when it came out, it was going to be the miracle cure for what ails human race psychologically. Uh, books were written about it, uh, talking uh, to Prozac, uh, talking with Prozac. I forget the, doc the doctor's name. He must have made $10 million on that book. And it was going to be the cure for depression, which in my the mental health field is called the common cold of uh, psychiatry and psychiatric problems, very widespread. <clears throat> this particular class of, of uh, drugs are called SSRIs, or Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. And I'm going to speak about that in a moment. I'll give you a little of the technology of it, of how the thing works. But I was really very pleased with much of the show. The show uh, was very critical of the overuse of these drugs. Uh, he had two guests on. I forget their names. Uh, I never thought about doing a show while I was watching it. Otherwise, I would have gotten the names. Um, one was a uh, general physician, an internist, 
who talked about the difficulty of spending enough time with patients and how this quick fix of writing a script when patients come in with anxiety and depression uh, just relieves them, uh, uh, the doctor, of so much of the intense effort that it would take to really get to the underlying difficulties of the patient. The second guest was a psychiatrist who I liked as a person. Um, and it's really uh, Dr. Oz's full and uncritical acceptance of the typical psychiatric story about uh, depression uh, that I want to talk about today. Now, let me give you a little information. Um, the human brain, the nervous system, operates not as an electrical system, as was thought 100 or so years ago, but through the transmission of chemicals. Uh, nerve endings don't touch each other. There's a space between all of our nerves called a synapse. And the message uh, from one nerve cell to the other is transmitted by what is called a neurotransmitter. And the neurotransmitters is a variety of them, and one of those is serotonin. Um, the, the, the serotonin moves into the synapse. It causes a firing of the next neuron, sending the message on in its, all of its different directions. And this is a very simplified view, but that's basically what happens. The idea now is that once that nerve fires, it shouldn't fire again. So another chemical is secreted back into the synapse from the second neuron, that neutralizes the serotonin, which is then taken back into the first neuron so it can be reused. What the SSRIs do, or theoretically do, is that they uh, prevent the reuptake or the absorption of the uh, serotonin, the neurotransmitter, back into the first neuron, the firing neuron, and increases, therefore, the amount of serotonin in the synapse or the synapses of the individual so that the brain and the nervous system are increased, uh, uh, the amount of serotonin or neurotrans that specific neurotransmitter. And this is the theory. And the theory is that depression results from a depletion of serotonin in the brain and that the depression will be relieved uh, if there is an adequate amount of serotonin placed back into the, into the, into the neuron. And based upon uh, this theory, this idea, uh, it will cure depression, which is then treated as if it were a true medical illness, and uh, Dr. Oz is, is a psychiatrist guest uh, who has uh, great credentials, uh, works at a great university, a major university, um, and therefore it can be called a true medical illness. The problem, of course, is it's simply not true. It's simply not true. The compound things, before I get to why it's not true and the evidence that it's not true, that serotonin, uh, there's any evidence that serotonin has anything really to do with depression, um, is that the doctor then, well, let me, let me go back up again. They were very critical of the overuse of the drugs. And over the fact, as Dr. Oz became more upset and more upset, is that 
only a small percentage of patients are helped by the SSRIs, the antidepressants. Many become uh, more depressed afterwards. In fact, one of the side effects, and it's called a side effect, uh, is increased depression, agitation, and uh, suicide thoughts. The suicide uh, potential is significant enough that in America, uh, SSRIs were given a black box warning. Black box warning means it's the most significant level of warning uh, about the dangers of a drug uh, that can be given short of withdrawing the drug or banning the drug from being used at all. And this black box warning is against using the SSRIs, uh, Prozac and Paxil, um, in young adults and teenagers. Of course, the information is not completely true even there. Uh, how do you tell if the drug companies are lying? You watch their lips move. Um, it's not only an increase in suicide, but increase in homicide, an increase in violence. Violence against the self can be suicidal. Violence against others can end up being homicidal. The British, uh, which are less under the thumb of the major companies uh, 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 than the United States, actually banned these drugs for anybody under 21. They banned them because the risk of suicide and homicide uh, activity uh, is, is so great. So, so what we have is then an overuse of the drugs, uh, an increase in very serious kinds of behavioral distortions. Um, Dr. Oz pointed out with his guests that that leads to a total reorganization of the brain uh, as we will talk about in a moment, because I really don't want to spend all that time on the on the effects, uh, there's a cascading effect in the brain, and not only is serotonin affected, but all the neurotransmitters, uh, dopamine, which is one, acetylcholine, which is another, the entire brain chemistry of the individual is changed. And uh, this might be worth the risk if this drug was shown to be more effective than perhaps 20 or 30% of the people who take it. Um, the drug companies for a long time and still deny it's addictive, but according to Dr. Oz and his informants, it's highly addictive. It's extremely difficult to get off. Paxil uh, apparently is even more addictive than Prozac. They didn't discuss that. But Prozac takes a longer time to leave the body uh, so the withdrawal symptoms from, from Prozac are more, uh, can be managed more easily uh, than from Paxil, which has a much shorter half-life, and so the symptoms leave the body more quickly, and therefore the withdrawal symptoms kick in much earlier. So what we have now is an overused drug for uh, a supposed illness uh, that is not effective in most cases, great majority of the cases, uh, that can increase very serious uh, psychiatric uh, uh, disturbances, danger to the individual's very life, um, and uh, the, the legendary loss of sex drive, the loss of appetite. In fact, all of the things that you see in any stimulant profile, because this causes a stimulant profile, similar to cocaine. 
So we have an epidemic uh, of a drug given for a supposed medical illness. But the problem is that there is no evidence that there is a serotonin problem or a problem of uh, deficient neurotransmitters in the brains of individuals. Interestingly, serotonin of all the neurotransmitters is found least in the brain. It's found most in the gut. It's found most in the, in the, in the intestines uh, where it does its work. Um, the the uh, original evidence came from some animal studies. Um, and uh, I, last week I discussed, I, I read the fact that there are no medical tests uh, of any kind that can prove that uh, there is a serotonin insufficiency or any medical problem associated with depression. Uh, it doesn't exist. Now, I want to read from a book called Blaming the Brain by a wonderful psychologist named Elliot S. Valenstein. Uh, I met him several years ago at a conference, uh, and I found him to be a bright, uh, really intriguing individual who wrote Blaming the Brain. He was a, on the faculty of uh, University of Michigan and uh, very well respected, uh, and he did his homework. And I want to read from page uh, 98 of uh, some of the studies that were done on the theoretical formulation or the proof that serotonin uh, is somehow associated with depression. However, as Joseph Mendels and Alan Frazier of the Department of Psychiatry and Pharmacology at the University of Pennsylvania have made clear, a more careful reading of the relevant literature would have indicated that recipine only rarely produces a true clinical depression. Recipine is a drug that they give that lowers serotonin levels and uh, theoretically then should cause depression, but it doesn't. Mendelssohn Frazier also reviewed a number of studies in which patients were given drugs that blocked the synthesis of either norepinephrine, which is another neurotransmitter, or serotonin and also dopamine. Their summary of these articles should have delivered a crippling blow to any theory that assumed that either a serotonin or norepinephrine deficiency was the cause of depression, but actually it was ignored. Mendels and Frazier found that marked reductions in norepinephrine, serotonin, and dopamine did not actually produce depression in humans. Uh, I don't have to read anymore. It goes on and on this way. Once, however, the drug companies had gotten to the public and to doctors uh, who rarely have time to read such literature, um, they directed the and the public began running to their doctor when they felt depressed or sad, and, and and were in psychological trouble. And these drugs took off, and they had produced a mega, mega uh, sale of the drugs. Now, as the show went on, the psychiatrist agreed that only a psychiatrist or highly trained specialist should diagnose depression and prescribe these drugs. Uh, Dr. Oz and his uh, guest, who was the, the, the uh, internist, shook their heads, yes, in agreement. Uh, a better diagnosis should be made because, as the psychiatrist pointed out, there is more than one kind of depression, and you have to give the uh, 
SSRI, the, the uh, antidepressant, to the person who has the right type of depression. And to demonstrate this, he showed two brain scans, which I have to talk about at some length, of patients who were depressed. And one of the brain scans shows very little activity in the brain of the patient. And two, the second one, shows a lot of activity. And the doctor said the patient with a lot of activity should not be given uh, a, 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 a stimulant-type antidepressant drug, only the patient whose brain is sort of shut down because that's the true brain where there's too little serotonin. And, of course, there's no evidence for that. But this piece of <clears throat> demagoguery, this piece of, of uh, a misinterpretation of what a brain scan can show or not show was really where I decided I had to do a show on this. So let me talk about what the brain scan means and what it shows and what it doesn't show. And to do this, I'm sorry, folks. I have to do a little bit of philosophy with you. We have to go back into a little history. Um, please, if this is the point at which you decide, uh, I, I, I don't want a three-credit course, and I don't want philosophy, and I don't really want to think too hard about this, uh, then you, you're going to be trapped, uh, as most of the world is, in this lie that depression is caused by a real medical illness, which there's no evidence and no test, uh, for which there's no proof that the way the drugs work actually uh, uh, produces an increase uh, in a depleted drug, which is the specific cause of depression. Uh, it just won't happen. So for a long time, and our language is still filled with the idea that the mind is of a different material than the body. And somehow, the mind is in the brain. It's in the brain. If you're religious, you believe that when the body dies, the mind, which is the spirit or the soul, departs and goes elsewhere. And that is absolutely unacceptable for a scientist. So this is called a dualism. We have a mind and a body. A mind and a body. What medical science has done and psychiatry has done and much of the world has done is said since we really can't accept the idea that the mind is separate from the body, we'll just deal with the body. And as I've said for many shows for a long time now, we look at the body as a machine and the brain as the source of our behavior and we've gotten rid of the idea of a mind entirely and that's one of the reasons why this brain scan seems to appeal to people. Ah, now we see the depression as it's actually taking place in the brain. Because there's only the brain. We are nothing but a brain. Psychology disappears. Sociology disappears. Social relationships disappear. They all disappear. So what can we say then about the brain scan and what it shows without a dualism? And it's this. If your brain and body shut down, there is no mind. It's gone. 
A human being as an entity can be looked at simultaneously, simultaneously, from two points of view. One, a psychological and social being, and two, a being with a brain that has wonderful neurological activity. The neurological activity is the same as the, 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 the psychological activity, and yet different. Now, here's the paradox. How could it be the same and different? I'm looking at my computer screen, and on it I see words and numbers that organized in a meaningful way to me. The hard drive, which could be compared to our brain, a simpler, much simpler version, is programmed. And the programming and the hard drive, we don't see. I don't see that on the screen. I don't know what's going on in the hard drive. I know that without the hard drive and the specific programs, what's on the screen wouldn't exist. But what interests me, what's important to me in a meaningful way, were the words and numbers and letters and sentences and pictures on the screen. <clears throat> they are the same as what's going on in the programs, which have formula that are completely different than what you see on the screen. They're two variants of the same thing. The same is true of what goes on in our brain. As I speak to you, there's activity in my brain. It parallels. It is a manifestation of. It's an alternate version of what's coming out of my mouth as I speak to you. But it's not the same thing. It has to be understood on its own level. Now, what's remarkable about the human brain is that I'm not aware any more of what's going on in my brain as I'm aware of what's going on in the hard drive of my computer. If I was aware of what was going on in my brain, I wouldn't be able to distinguish between what's happening in my brain and what's happening around me and outside of me. So the brain is silent to what our psychology tells us goes on around us. One needs the other, and the other needs the other. There'd be no brain activity unless I was interacting with my environment, and not just with my brain, but with my eyes and all my senses and my entire body and my limbs and my walking around. I feel the pressure on the carpet under my feet, and all of this will have a corresponding brain activity. The hard drive, if you will, and the programming, I'm not aware of. What I'm aware of is a psychological level. And the psychological level determines what's going on in the brain. Every bit as much of what's going on in the brain determines what's going on psychologically. You can't have one without the other. There used to be horror movies in which the evil scientist removed the brain, put it into a glass jar, hooked up a speaker to it, and the brain spoke. Impossible. You need a total physical human being to, to produce the kind of activity in the brain that is the 
manifest. That is the alternate reality, if you will, of what's going on psychologically. And it starts with my interaction with the environment. The psychology can't be ignored as it's being done by these brain, so-called brain scans and studies of the brain. You bypass it. So if we now look at mind, what do we see mind to be? It's not a noun. We don't have a mind. I've done this before, and I'll do it quickly again. I think. I walk. I talk. I see. I interpret. I understand. These are all verbs. They're activities. They're activities of a human being. So the mind is a set of activities, and those activities produce a reaction called emotions, and emotions with the activities, the thinking and the feeling and the speaking, all produce a psychological reality for us about what's going on around us and in us in the world. That's what it is. So we have mental activity. We have an embodied mind. It doesn't exist without the body. When I die, my mental activity stops. But stopping also is all the social interaction and all the experiencing, the seeing, the colors, the music, the speech, the discussions, the dancing, the singing. All of the things that make up psychological activity. So if we look then at depression, we find no evidence that there is an illness. And now we could look at the brain scan and say that when you're in a certain state of mind, which we call depressed, there will be a corresponding set of activity in the brain. What's so interesting here is that when I work with depressed people, I can see changes in their behavior in a very short, over short period of time, which I am sure, if we were doing brain scans, would produce very different pictures of what's going on in the brain as they go from one state of depression and one state of mind to another. So, for example, I speak to a woman who tells me she hates being in the nursing home, 91 years old. She wants her life back. This isn't a life. She wants to die. And as she talks about the fact that her daughter can't take care of her, she's agitated and angry. I am sure that if we took a look at her brain scan, I know it to be so, there would be a tremendous amount of activity going on in her brain that would show up with a lot of color on the brain scan. A couple of moments later, the same lady sinks down in resignation and says, it's hopeless. Nothing can be done. I will be here till I die, and I wish it comes soon. And now she's extremely quiet. If we do a brain scan, I have no doubt that it'll look like the first of the brain scans that Dr. Oz's psychiatric colleague showed us. It's not two different kinds of depression. It's two states of mind, two sets of activities, <coughs> excuse me, 
two sets of activities that correspond to two different views of brain activity, two different kinds of brain activity. My theoretical idea is if somebody was resigned and depressed and showed very little brain activity, resignation being the dominant emotion, hopelessness, total despair, and 10 minutes later it was discovered that all of his problems were resolved, his wife returned to him, his children were happy, and he won a million dollars in the lottery, the second brain scan would appear. I don't think you could even show which specific emotions can be picked up by the brain scan. Maybe someday we'll look at a scan and we'll know exactly what the person's thinking and feeling. That day isn't here. So what you have now is a kind of a simplistic view of emotion that's not seen on a psychological level, but is seen on a neurological level. The neurological activity clearly shows up in the brain scan. But what's left out is a human being. And this Dr. Oz and his colleagues can't be allowed to stand. And this is the reason why these drugs don't work well and are so damaging. When somebody is in a rage, and rage is very often a part of depression, very often people in depression are angry, and you give them a drug that stimulates their brain and disables the normal brain functioning, because that's how all these drugs work. They don't work by improving brain function. They work by disabling brain function. And if the person likes the consequences, like I do when my brain is disabled by a couple of good glasses of Cabernet Sauvignon, I go with it. And if the side effects are not too lasting and too great, you continue with it. But that's what's happening. Wine doesn't help a chemical depletion or an overactive chemical in my brain. What it does is disable its normal functioning. And that's what Paxil and Prozac and all the psychiatric drugs do. That's how they work. That's how they work. I'm thinking about Boston tonight. I'm going to do my next show and I'm going to conjecture and theorize about the kind of individuals uh, that blow up people and, and have no regard for the life or care of their fellow human beings. I want to theorize. I don't really know. I've never met a terrorist. But I read. I see. Uh, but I want to talk about, for a moment, that or Newton Mass, where the terrible slaughter of children and teachers took place not too long ago. And think about what the psychological meaning of that was, let's say, to a mother whose kindergartner was blasted to pieces by a, 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 an assault weapon. What does that mean psychologically? What does it mean? What's going on in the brain is a function of what's going on in the experience of this individual. Can we imagine it? I can't. I was a father of three children, and any time one of them uh, ran a fever, until the cold burst out, or we knew what was causing it, and I knew it wasn't some dread disease like leukemia or, or something that could take them away from me, 
I couldn't breathe. The idea of your child is that it's your future. They're your genes. The, the connection between us and them is as profound as any connection that could exist. And when something like this happens, what is the normal psychological reaction? Interestingly now, the new DSM will include grief as a mental disorder. Grief. What kind of grieving can take place when a parent and a mother lose a child? This way, they send a happy little child off to school, and school is so important because we want that child to grow into a successful, creative, loving human being. It's as profound as any relationship and the death is as devastating as any could take place. What would the brain scan show us? What meaning could they possibly have under this circumstance? And why would drugs be used to cure a medical illness that's related to this kind of psychological experience? It's monstrous to me. If people want to dull the pain, which is what these drugs do, by disabling the normal function of the brain, that's their choice. But let's not lie and say there's a medical illness or that the brain scan actually shows the true form of the depression. Most of the marriages, if this is going to be typical, although I'm not sure it'll be typical when children are, are, are lost, most of the marriages break up. 70 to 80 percent of all marriages end in divorce, separation, uh, heavy drinking, all kinds of very, very sad outcomes. Uh, because this is a knit community and there's tremendous support, uh, it may get worked out differently. But in the typical case, 70, 80 percent of people who lose a child in this meaningless way, where there's no real purpose, it's just sheer violence done by somebody for their own personal gratification, um, break up. All of this, I want to say to Dr. Oz and his guests, is being ignored. Depression is the normal human reaction to set of emotions and thoughts. Being, the world is a dangerous, awful place, and I'm afraid of it. I hate it. I want to fight it. I'm hopeless. Nothing will ever change. I'm in despair. I'm helpless to do anything about it. And I'm guilty. I'm wrong. I'm the worst person that's ever been alive. And I don't really deserve to have happiness or joy. That's depression. Not an illness. A state of mind brought about by a variety of thoughts for a variety of reasons and the emotions that go along with it. Dr. Oz and your guests, you left out the human part of your show. If we want to take drugs, let's take our drugs, but don't call them medicines unless it can be shown that they have a biological, uh, physical reaction 
that really cures a biological or, or ameliorates a biological problem. And stop showing us brain scans that do not show what's wrong with a brain, but show us the function of the brain as it relates to the human activity going on between the individual or individuals and their world and each other. Grief is not an illness. It's what makes us human. Grief is probably the emotion that allows us to break the bond between us and the person who's died. Not get rid of their memory, but to break the intense bond that ties us to that individual so that perhaps we could start focusing on other individuals and find other relationships that can restore us to a more meaningful life. Depression has meaning. And what you did in that show, Dr. Oz, not intentionally, and with your colleagues, is avoid the meaning, avoid that which matters to human beings that we now call illness or sickness and try to obliterate by disabling the brain, tearing up the wires and changing, violently changing the programming of the brain, the part, the, the programming that comes from biology and the programming that comes from our history of interactions with, with our world. So I think I've said what I wanted to say. Uh, I hope they still hear from you, Dr. Oz. I would love to say this on your television show. I would like to say it to millions of people. I would be willing to argue with any of the psychiatrists that you would like to have on. I would debate with them. I bring all the evidence I have. Uh, I have both sides of the story. They only have one. Uh, there is no evidence, only assertion. Assertion by authority uh, that to be depressed is to have a serious, real medical illness that can be scanned and then by a, a, a brain scan and then uh, ameliorated effectively with some drug. Anybody want to call in at 716-7756? My show's still doing fairly well, but nobody calls in. I'm lonely here. Not exactly depressed, but. So, I think I've done it. Now time for a cup of tea and a couple of really good Pepperidge Farm cookies. Sit with my wife and watch some television shows. This will be good. Okay. Good night and goodbye. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.